Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, you are not wearing purple like I thought you might be. Congratulations. <laughs> I wore it all this weekend. I bet you did. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh it was a fun weekend. Got to go to Omaha with my mom and dad and my youngest brother, hang out. Uh had some friends from Baton Rouge there as well. So got to hang. I'd never been the yeah. college world series before my parents had been and my brother had been before uh so it was a lot of fun i would definitely go back i was telling my wife if oklahoma state when oklahoma state goes again or when lsu goes again we definitely need to go back because the drive wasn't too bad from okc it was like six hours hotels weren't as expensive as i thought they were going to be yeah and it was just a fun time all around so yeah omaha is a sneaky good city like there's a lot to do too if you're spending more than you know one day up there uh which it's it's kind of tough to do during the college world series because hotel rooms are just they're crazy because everybody in the country is kind of migrating to one spot so uh yeah i've been to the college world series obviously in the new stadium I was lucky enough too to get to go uh, when it was at Rosenblatt. So uh, yeah, oh, those nice. were some, some cool memories. So uh, yeah, well, I I had to open it with that. I mean, we talked about it last week. It's been quite the uh, year for your LSU native Tigers there. Yeah, they get the women's basketball and men's baseball. So it's pretty awesome. My my dad was really pumped. We actually the only game that we went to though was game two. Yeah, right. So that was the worst. For LSU fans, so everybody was kind of bummed about that, but we got to hang out there for the day and night. So it was a lot of it was a lot of fun, and then obviously they came away with the the victory in Game Three, kind of giving it back to Florida there. So that yeah. was that was a lot of fun. Got to you know obviously with a lot of family members of mine and a lot of friends graduating from LSU. Just those group texts were a lot of fun last night yeah. and even into today. So that was a good time. But Cade, college sports are done. I know. Football. I know. Okay, before we We're move finally on, done. I, I have <laughs> one question for you. And I, I want this obviously on the way the College World Series went, but kind of more broadly, it's a it's a question on should college baseball be shorter? Should like the mercy rule, especially in the postseason, like the two games, game two and game three, going twenty-four to four and eighteen to four. And they were pretty over pretty early. Would you be in favor of something changing regarding that? Because it just kind of takes the air out of it a little bit. Yeah, it, I'm, I feel, I would feel weird to put a run rule in the championship series. Sure, sure. Because those teams are both so good. They made it this far. But I Who do knows? completely understand yeah. what you're saying because they do take it away in the postseason. And then, you know, last year we saw in the Stillwater Regional, Oklahoma State come down, come back from being down, what was it, like 12? Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. so, so you say it and then some of these comebacks happen, but I do agree with you. It's a little hard to watch, especially when, especially in game two, when you can right. tell LSU got down five, six runs in the fourth, fifth-ish inning 
And they were like, hey, we have another game to play. We're not going to throw any of our good arms. Right, right, right. We're just going to throw guys out there and try to get done with this game. It doesn't matter how much we lose by. A loss is a loss. Just like a win's a win. So I I do get what you're saying because it was almost like, can LSU just go out there and be like, hey, we forfeit this game because (laughs) we want to save save our arms. But I I do get what you're saying. I I think in the championship series, it would be hard to enforce a run rule maybe you could make it like a really high run total because that's they still would have hit it probably in both those games last that's night the with thing before and 24 to four but yeah in in regional play in you know in the super regional play I, I don't think having the run rule would be a huge issue there and like you said it would make some of these games just in that need to end yeah, and that's kind of it. But you know, we don't have to get too deep into it. I know your love for college baseball. I love college baseball too. There's some there's some imperfections about it that make it great. It's a little bit of what I love about college football. It's not a perfect game like it is in the NFL. So I, I'm not saying something needs to change. It's just acutely obvious. You know, 24 to 4, 18 to 4, both really kind of non-competitive games. I'd love to get to the dog pile a little bit quicker, but that's just me. So, no, Dustin, no, no. I I completely get it. Now, LSU's dog pile was kind of weak last night. The pictures looked cool, but if you watch the video, they uh, I don't think they got as rowdy as I, as I would have liked in the actual pile. Nothing worse than kind of a uh, a mellow championship celebration. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you're tuning in for. I want to see the yeah. reaction, right? And and I know like people that listen to this podcast know that that I grew up in Louisiana and, and I'm an Oklahoma state fan and alum. That's, that's my school. But you have to realize that growing up as a small child in the nineties and LSU winning five college world series during that time right. and me growing up playing baseball at being one of my favorite sports that left a huge impression on me. So LSU baseball has a big, you know, part of my life and sports fandom as a young child, now so it is really cool that they got to win got to be there for a little bit of the weekend and like like i said obviously oklahoma state's my school but if, if i was to pick a second school second sport i think it would have to be lsu baseball yeah yeah that's that's pretty cool man well happy for you being able to celebrate that obviously as you said the long night is upon us uh there's no college sports for what is it what are you, 60 days roughly yeah, which it's going to be over time. like that, but it's it, it's a long time. Yeah, it'll be over quick. We we always we always talk about off season and stuff like that, and then it goes by really fast. But when you think uh, sixty days, two months is a long time. But we do still have news. Although Cade, we'll get to recruiting in a little bit. The football recruiting dead period starts and goes all the way until the end of July. So. No official visits, nothing like that. No in-person contact. So it might, I know we always say this and it's not, doesn't come true, but I think it might start getting a little more dead with the softball transfer portal closing tomorrow, the baseball transfer portal closing in two weeks. After the MLB draft, there's really going to be nothing until yeah. well, you fall, and I, fall camp starts. Yeah, you and I can finally launch that geopolitical spinoff of Feels Like 45 <laughs> for the offseason. We can talk, you know, some military coups in Russia and just go from there. <laughs> but with the news, we are talking about a little bit of NFL. This is kind of just quick. Two XFL names, guys that we know were cut from the NFL earlier, that had former Cowboys that recently went into the professional side of football. 
Brock Martin, you know, he was with the Raiders. We didn't know where he was, what he was going to do after that. He is joining the Orlando Guardians of the XFL. And then Braden Johnson, who was recently waived by the Buffalo Bills, has joined the Houston Roughnecks. So you're going to see several Oklahoma State guys in the XFL. We talked about the guys in the Canadian Football League. We talked about Calvin Bundage in the Indoor Football League. So Oklahoma State players spread across all professional football leagues. And we saw Marcel Aitman make his way back to the NFL from the XFL. So hopefully that can happen for Brock Martin and Braden Johnson. Yeah, well, no question. And I guess these professional options that are available to players now, it's uh, it's more than it used to be. So, you know, it's not the NFL or, you know, death to your football career. So it is nice. And we'll see. I mean, as you said last there, you know, maybe there's a path back to the NFL for some of these guys. I'm 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 not going to hold my breath on that. I actually feel like Marcel Aitman like is you know, NFL caliber, potentially win healthy at the wide receiver spot. But it's at least good to see these guys, as I said, you know, a couple of times now, sticking around the game. You love to see that. If you had to pick one of the two more likely to make it back, who would you choose? I would probably say Braden Johnson, just from a physical ability standpoint. I just think Brock Martin is in the NFL, maybe a tweener and kind of going to be hard for him to, I don't know, be maybe big enough to play the position he played in college. I, I just, I would struggle to see that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a great point by you. You know, he's got, he's referenced as the guardians at a linebacker. We know he played that Leo spot, which was kind of a defensive end linebacker hybrid. And he felt more like a defensive end right. throughout his career. So it's a great point by you. The other thing with Brock and I'm not Brock. So I don't know his, like how his body is operating right now, but he sustained a lot of injuries yep. throughout his college career. We know about the elbow. They said that was like one of the most painful injuries that you can have. We know, you know, he had several braces on that he was playing through throughout his career. Love Brock Martin, but he was awesome at Oklahoma State. I just wonder how much the wear and tear of professional football at, in any of the leagues is going to have on his body. So I think I would go Braden Johnson as well. The other positive for Braden Johnson is we know – He's had some issues with drops, but he does have that 4-3, speed. And sometimes that can kind of land you on a team if you're, if you're able to play special teams because if you can get down the field fast enough on kickoff or punt and yeah, can show you can make a tackle, you can use that speed can be utilized in that way. So I think I'd go Braden as well. Yeah, 100%. I, and I just feel like if you're crazy fast, pe teams are going to be enamored with that. So it would not surprise me to see him be decent in the XFL and, uh, you know, find his way onto a practice squad. So, yeah, I agree. With current OSU football news, we talked about this a little bit, but the body by glass is in full swing again this summer. They're doing the metabolic workouts. So that's. That's a workout strategy. Like if you look up the de definition, it's kind of a to maximize calorie burning both before and during your workout, kind of keep that heart rate going. So you give maximum physical effort through a series of compound movements for a short, intense period. And even when you're not working out, you kind of keep that heart rate going and you're continuing to burn calories. So it doesn't sound fun, but it definitely sounds, sounds like a great way to get in shape. Uh, Pokes Report actually released kind of their workout schedule. So Monday is lift and conditioning day with the metabolic workout in the late afternoon. Tuesday is lift and conditioning day. Wednesday's a makeup day because Cade, there's no off days. If you miss a workout, <laughs> you got to make it up 
on Wednesday and a special day for aerobic or martial arts workouts, which have been wow. optional over the years. Thursday's lift and conditioning with metabolic workout late in the afternoon. So similar to Monday. And then Friday is your favorite, Cade. Stadium steps at 6 a.m. followed by a lift. The fact that they do the steps and go straight into a lift just sounds absolutely miserable. I remember running steps in high school and not being able to like breathe after. Yeah. So the oh, fact yeah. that they do probably in an extremely intense lift, I'm thinking heavy squat, heavy bench, something of that nature right after is insane to me. And then they even add a metabolic workout on Tuesdays in July. So Dalton Cooper is back. He's full speed. Cam Hurd, Robert Allen called out Cam Hurd specifically saying he's looking good in the slot, which is something you yeah. and I had thought where he was going to yeah. kind of line up. I know when we had Adam Lunn on, we, we talked maybe he could play outside or slot, but it looks like he's going to be in that slot spot. So that's pretty cool. But how, do, how does that workout sound, Cage? Should we try to <laughs> emulate that throughout the throughout June and July? I was going to say it sounds like hit without the whole interval thing. Like it sounds like the whole workout is just kind of moving around and I would say that the thing that scares me most about it is it being sandwiched in between, you know, some stadium steps, a heavy lift, you know, your body not being able to recover, which I think is kind of the whole point, you know, it's like recover as much as you possibly can, but you're about to get your butt kicked again tomorrow. So that's really interesting. Um, and you got to trust Rob Glass. I mean, that that's the way to go. Yeah. I, I mean, I... I get tired going up the like 11 steps once I yeah. get into my section. Yeah. I mean, down those. <laughs> and that, and that's a tough feeling when, when it happens to you, because it happens to me too. You, you, cause you know, those guys ran it all summer long in the heat. Uh, yeah. It, it's a tough feeling. I mean, Dustin, that's like putting your heart rate up into like one eighties, one nineties, like consistently and just staying there when you're running those stadium steps. It's, it's brutal. Yeah, I mean, but you have to think about some of these guys, like your Jason Taylors last year playing, averaging 80, 90 yeah. snaps a game. So you have to be in that kind of shape. Yeah, they can just and, maintain that. It's crazy. Yeah, it sounds insane to do the steps and go straight into a lift, but it also sounds insane to play 90 snaps at the Power 5 college football yeah, level. So full sprint, all out. Yeah, can't imagine. Uh, one other just quick note, uh, Cowboy quarterback Zane Flores continuing to get honors from high school even into his college career, he led Gretna, which is Gretna High School in Nebraska, to back-to-back -back state championships, and now he's being recognized by the National Football Foundation as one of the 79 prep players from across the nation on their 2023 NFF Team of Distinction. So the selection comes from a pool of 3,500 scholar-athletes, and like I said, there are 79 kind of winners identified by a nationwide chapter network, the National Football Foundation, foundation and college hall of fame and like i said that was their team of distinction so it's pretty cool it kind of goes along with like your play on the field and then your achievements in the classroom as well so not only did floors dominate on the field which we know he did breaking like every nebraska passing record but he also is a smart guy and dominated in the classroom so shout out to zane he hey the more the more you just read about him the more film you watch it's hard to not get excited. I know it's Bowman and Rangel going into this season, but I'm really excited for Flores down the line. Well, and him getting the chance to develop the way you would like to see a quarterback develop and get a, a true redshirt year. 
uh, obviously that only happens if things go to plan and and your quarterbacks stay healthy. So, you know, I think you got to you got to hope and pray for that, but that's going to be to his advantage down the line. I mean, you look at Mason Rudolph, he didn't play till I think it was his 11th game his freshman year and that was out of sheer necessity. I think they were down to him and a walk-on if I remember correctly. So, I mean, the proof is in the pudding in that regard, and I I think that's the way that Zane would prefer it and the way Oklahoma State would prefer it. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a two-horse race unless Alan Bowman comes back for another year going into 2024, (laughs) so we'll see. The eternal Alan Bowman college football career. Uh, Yeah, that was all the news we had from current Oklahoma State football team. Looking at recruiting, so – the dead period, I mentioned it already, that started at midnight, I think at midnight this past midnight, and it goes until July 24th. So you can get, teams can get some official visits in at the end of July, but really most teams wait until fall camp, until games start happening to kind of get those going again. So Oklahoma State had a bunch of official visitors this past weekend and last week. We'll get to that, but they they can't have anybody until at least... July 25th and that dead period it basically kind of stops all like in-person contact so coaches can't have any in-person contact with recruits or their parents they're not allowed to talk to recruits at their college campus the athlete school an athletic camp or even you know just randomly seeing them at a movie theater grocery store mall you can't no in-person contact but you can still talk to them through phone, email, social media, other digital communications. So it's not like recruiting is completely stopping. I'm mainly just talking about the official visits. So Oklahoma State has 10 commits heading into this dead period. I think we expect a few more. They don't have so they don't have a quarterback yet. They do have a running back. They do have a receiver. They have a tight end. They only have two offensive linemen. I would think they'd want five or six. No defensive tackles. They do have two linebackers, no defensive ends yet. Three safeties when I don't know if they really needed three in this class, but they've got three and no cornerbacks at this time. But some of those safeties could probably play some other positions along with those linebackers. So that's kind of what we're looking at heading into this dead period. And there were two recent commits, Cade, that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. One of them, we talked about just getting an offer. I didn't think he was going to commit this fast. Looking at his offer sheet, you and I thought he Oklahoma State had a good chance. But Chauncey Johnson, the 2024 offensive lineman, 6'4", 295 pounds from Lone Oak High School in Lone Oak, Arkansas. I believe he just got his rating in as a three-star. That's the Oklahoma State three-star bump. Calvin Harvey was his host. He was a guy that was impressive at the down and dirty lineman camp and then got an offer, which was only a couple of weeks ago. Okay, what are your thoughts on Johnson? I mean, I like him a lot. You liked him, right? So if, yeah, if that's I did. the I, case, I'm always good. It's just, it, so he, if you watch his tape, he played left tackle and left guard. He looks extremely strong, pushing guys around. Looks to have decent athleticism for his size. Large body, maybe could even put on more weight. You know, that's that he's listed at 295. Probably could get over 300 for sure. He just doesn't really seem like a technically sound guy yet i think there's a lot of development there if if i had to guess like if, if we if we were having lunch on right now and we were doing our right when do we think this guy's gonna play 
I, if this guy played started before his junior year, I, I'd probably be pretty surprised. I think this is a couple year development guy. And I don't think that's a bad thing. He just started wrestling. So he knows some of the things he needs to improve upon. When you look at the quotes after he committed, he talks about how he got into wrestling to kind of help with some hip fluidity and things of that nature. So he knows he needs to develop. He's played on both sides of the ball. Teams were starting to take notice. He had a Missouri offer that he just got. Arkansas was talking to him as well, but they hadn't officially offered. I think it's great to get an offensive lineman in general. I'm not saying take anybody, but I do think this is a good pickup. I wouldn't say he's like the highlight of the class or anything, but I do think he's a he's a guy that adds depth, but I wouldn't expect to see him for a couple of years on the field. Well, I mean, I I don't want to throw a current cowboy kind of under the bus, so don't take it this way, but the way you describe him and the and the strength being such a key part of why Oklahoma State's so interested here kind of reminds me of Jacoby Sanders, right? Like a guy that you're not exactly expecting to see year one, maybe even year two, but down the line, that strength should pay dividends for him if he can stick it through and, and, you know, expect to play, you know, into his sophomore junior year type of type of setting. So I, I love it. I would also say anytime you got an other power five SEC types of schools looking at an offensive lineman, you'll, I think you would take it right. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I think my thing here is Cade, what you talk about the physicality and the strength, when it's when it's somebody outside of Texas or Oklahoma, and I'm not super familiar with the teams that that high school plays, it's hard for me to know is he really that strong or are these weaker opponents? You know, when I'm when I'm looking at this film, so it's something I'll need to dive into a little bit more, as I know you will as well. But they only had what one offensive lineman before this. Yeah, no, it's it's a position of need at all times for me. So, and obviously they could still go to the transfer portal and things like that, but they definitely need more offensive linemen in general in this class. Like I said, they have two now, and you'd think they'd want five or six, maybe even seven when it's all said and done. So we'll kind of see how that continues on. But the other commit was a guy that we had heard was a silent commit. We put as a prediction to make ourselves look good, but really we kind of had an inkling that this was going to happen. Yep. This is Gunnar Wilson, the 2024 linebacker from Melissa High School, 6'2", 210 pounds, three-star, number 119-rated linebacker, number 185 in Texas. He got that three-star bump. I believe it was shortly after he committed. He announced his commitment last Saturday. Oklahoma State was his only Power 5 offer at this time. We talked about when he was on his official visit. Joe Bob's son, Chance, who's a linebacker at Oklahoma State, was his host. His offers included Arkansas State, Army, Bowling Green, Lafayette, Louisiana Tech, North Texas, Sam Houston State, UTSA, schools of that nature. So a little bit under-recruited, but I do like Wilson a lot. I think he's a guy that, I think this is more, as opposed to Johnson, I think has a lot of developing to do. I think Wilson may be more of your kind of diamond in the rough guy that could be super versatile, maybe even play some safety. They said he was going to play that Sam linebacker spot when he was talking, getting quoted after he committed to 247 into Pokes report. So he could play there, maybe even switch him to Rover. He's very athletic. A lot of his film is at tight end as well, which is I think why he maybe is a little bit under-recruited at linebacker because of all the film at tight end. 
He only played linebacker, I think, for five games last season. So he said he's going to play a mainly focus on defense this upcoming season. So you may even see some offers roll in after this commitment. But I like Wilson a lot. I think I think this is one of those Nar well, Nardo's new, but one of those Gundy Oklahoma State uh-huh. diamond in the rough finds that could end up being a pretty productive play. Yeah, I mean, his, at 6'2", 210, uh, you know, come, and that's probably not up to date. You know, a lot of these measurements can be upwards of six months old. Uh, I, I like what he potentially brings to that Sam position. He's going to have to cover some space. Uh, I, I really like it. Gives me a little bit, and everybody's going to get this comparison from me now because I agree with you. I think it is a potential diamond in the rough type of find. Just the size, the profile of the schools recruiting him. Uh, he is under-recruited from the Power 5 level, but there's several schools looking at him that think he's good enough to play there. It gives me a little bit of Malcolm Rodriguez vibes. I'm not going to say that he's going to end up being you know, a ring of honor type of player, but it does give me that same vibe. And so I'm excited to see what he ends up doing. I don't think he's ever going to play that same position. I think he's going to be playing kind of more of that Devin Harper type of role, you know, cover a little more ground. And so anyway, we'll see how that goes. But uh, this is a player I'm really interested in. And I think you could look up and see him, you know, be more like a four-star type of prospect when he's on campus, you know, recruiting ranking, notwithstanding, I think he'll surprise some people. Yeah, and another thing to note too, Kate, is he went to the Arkansas Pine Bluff game. He went to the Texas game. He's been on an official visit. So I'm sure yeah. schools noticed that coming to Oklahoma State three, four times, yeah. is it even worth it to offer? Not, not, I'm not saying that's why he didn't have Power 5 offers, but you know, sometimes these guys, they'll let you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to Oklahoma State. I just right. haven't committed yet. So that could be another reason why as well. But I do really like, if you watch his film, he played that tight end spot, but it was more of an H-back tight end. So think of kind of like that cowboy back position for Oklahoma State. Very athletic, very fast. He even did some wildcat quarterback. He'll definitely need to work on technique at the linebacker spot because he played. He did play linebacker, but he also lined up on the edge in like a seven technique. He was dropped back in a safety spot several times. So he's played all over. I think they're going to focus more on linebacker this season at Melissa with him. And I think they're going to be a really good team this year too in Texas high school football. So it'll be fun to watch him moving forward. I mean, is this like a Dylan Doyle type situation from Baylor where they had him play linebacker and then split him out into the H back at times? Is that what we're looking at? Yeah, but I think he was a little bit more offensive focus. So it was almost like a reverse. Yeah, like we're going to have a reverse Dylan Doyle. Um, I would love that. Yeah, but I, I'd keep an eye on him. I expect I, I expect some teams to come in late and try to get him to flip from Oklahoma State after this next season. Oh, I don't I don't like that. Usually, when you say that, you're right. <laughs> uh, the next two guys, two negative news, real quick. Just guys we've talked about recently on the podcast. Eddie Smith, the 2024 defensive lineman from Dawson High School in Pearland, Texas, the three star. He committed to Texas Tech, and then Kylan Reed, the 2024 linebacker from Mansfield Summit in Arlington. He committed to Baylor, both guys that we thought Oklahoma State had a shot at, but we didn't predict either of them as like guys we thought were Oklahoma State for sure. So not huge surprises. I would have loved to get Smith. I think he was kind of that edge slash that D tackle slash defensive end in this new three down that would have fit great into Nardo's scheme. Not as worried about Reed. You got Gunnar Wilson. 
think you know you've got some linebackers in there. But I think Smith was a little bit of a big loss, but I'm not super surprised about either of them not picking Oklahoma State. Yeah, well, you, I'll, I'll follow your lead on it because usually when you take this kind of eh, approach, <laughs> I think we'll be okay. <laughs> and then, Kate, I wanted to hit a couple guys. So we got we got a question from Bill Minat at Bill My Geo Guy. I wanted to hit it now because it's about recruiting and I didn't want to rehash it later or forget about it. So based on Nardo emoji tweets... There are around two to three silent commits for the Pokes. Any ideas on who they may be? Guessing Bo Tate, Armstrong, Nodum. Didn't know if there may be another out there we aren't thinking about. So I wanted to talk about a few guys. I actually think we'll get to Bo Tate in a little bit. I think he may be a little bit of a Baylor lean, but we'll see there. But I wanted to hit before I talk about the, the guys who I think may be some of the silent commits on defense. I do think our guy, Maile Iwaki, Smith, I said it right, finally, first time. The 2024 QB, 6'4", 195 pounds from Junipero Serra in San Mateo, California. Three-star, number 31 QB in the class, according to 247. Kate, I think we might get a commitment from him. And he would be the only quarterback in the class. He'd be the only quarterback they'd take, almost positive. He had his visit June 14th through 16th. BYU is the other school in play here, but BYU just took a commit from American Leadership Academy 2024 quarterback Enoch Watson, who plays at ALA in Arizona for former BYU and NFL quarterback Ty Detmer, whose name got dropped on a recent podcast on a Twitter question. Robert Allen is reporting that Smith may commit one way, like to either BYU or OSU on Saturday. That's when he may announce it. I think he's going to commit to Oklahoma State. This is one I haven't really heard a lot on, not like these silent commits that we got a little news about planted in our ear. This one, I just, from what I just kind of told you about him, what he said after his visit, I think Oklahoma State can land him. I I think right now it's trending Oklahoma State over BYU, and I this would be a huge get. Yeah, I, I would think so. And, man, it makes next year, if that's the case, it makes next year's quarterback room look really interesting and almost, I won't say log jam, but I mean, does that in your opinion, if, if they pull in Smith, does that preclude any of this Alan Bowman nonsense to be maybe potentially nonsense if they're looking for another quarterback? Or do you think that that's just a contingency in the event that they can't get, you know, another year for Bowman? I think it's a good point. Like I think, I think it's probably a little bit of both that it's a contingency and they probably are thinking they may not be able to get another year for him. But even if that, even if they knew they were going to get another year for him, I think you almost have to take a quarterback in every class, whether that be transfer portal or high school, because if one guy has a, you know, gets a bad thought in his mind, like, Hey, I want to transfer. The quarterback room is so important that, you know, if, if Garrett Rangel decides tomorrow, hey, I want to transfer, and you only have Flores and Gundy right. and then Bowman can't come back, then you got to go take grab somebody out of the transfer 100%. portal real quick. So I think you just got to continue taking quarterbacks no matter what. But it is a great point by you because I think that has something to do with it as well. Yeah, well, I, I think you're spot on, especially when you lay it out from the transfer portal so easy to hop into. I, I would agree with you. You should especially be probably – Especially for quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's going to be looking in the portal every year. I mean, you you should be taking one at minimum every year. I love that approach. 
Yeah, agree. The two guys, though, the bill to answer his question, two of the guys that I think might be silent commits, you know, you mentioned Bo Tate and Armstrong Notum. Notum is the Rice D commit. I think he is one of them. Yeah. I think there's a good chance the other two are Jonathan Agumadu. He is committing on July 4th. That's the 2024 linebacker from McKinney High School in McKinney, Texas. Again, another reason why I'm not super upset about Kylan Reed. You're gonna if you were to get a commitment from Agumadu, he is also a linebacker. He has a final list of OSU, SMU, Mizzou, Memphis, and North Texas. Again, he's a guy that is good friends with David Cabongo and Landon Cleveland, two Oklahoma State commits. He had the SMU visit. I think it was this week. It may have been last week, but that was his last visit, obviously with the dead period starting. So he's going to make that commitment. Unless SMU really showed him a good time, I think Oklahoma State is the lean there. And then the other one is a guy that I mentioned, on the, and we mentioned Agumadu on the last podcast as well, but this is another guy who I mentioned may be one of these silent commits on the last podcast. He's announcing on Friday, Timurik Johnson, the Edge, 6'3", 205 pounds from Midlothian Heritage in in Midlothian, Texas. He is a three-star, number 56 Edge, number 123 player overall in Texas. Not the same player as Eddie Smith, quite a bit smaller weight-wise, but it would be nice to grab somebody on the defensive line after missing out on Smith. He recently visited 33 tackles in his junior se- season, seven for loss, four and a half sacks. He took an official to KU, I think it's kind of coming down to Oklahoma State and Kansas, and I think Oklahoma State has the nod there. If they land some of these guys, Agumadu, Nodum, Johnson, even though I don't think Johnson has the rating in Smith, I think you're going to see Oklahoma State kind of, I've played with the class calculator a little bit, and they're around the 50th range right now. I think they shoot up into the uh, high 30s if they land all those guys, maybe mid-30s even. So that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, no question. I mean, Tamaric Johnson also is committing in two days. So hopefully yeah. this this starts to unfold itself pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, it looks like Nardo's kind of recruiting the lights out a little bit. I mean, between uh, Landon Cleveland, David Cabongo, and Jonathan Agumadu, those are three, like, you know, really solid prospects to be pulling in so quickly. Is that your, is that your read on it too? Yeah, and I think what I like about it is he has this kind of style of player he likes for certain positions. We haven't really, we've seen it for linebacker and defensive back more because he hasn't really landed very many defensive linemen yet. But I like that he's going after these guys, these style of players. And also they're all like high mid three star guys. So it's pretty awesome. I I agree with you. I think he's kind of crushing it right now. And if he's able to get some, positive performance on the field from these guys. I think it's just going to continue trending upwards upwards for him in recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. It seems like he's making an early impact and, you know, it's, it's funny to look at these, you know, mid to high three stars and knowing full well, a lot of them are going to turn into four stars, like as, as performers on the field at Oklahoma state. And I listed those three off for a reason. I, I, I think those are going to be guys that we look back on uh, after four years in Stillwater and think, yeah, th- that those were really good pulls from Brian Nardo. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm going to run through a couple of the official visits from last weekend, just since we won't be doing this again for over a month. Tima Chinike, we mentioned him on the last podcast, getting the offer. He came in for a Tuesday through Thursday visit, so a little bit different than a weekend visit. He's the 
all these guys are 2024. 20, He's the 6'5, 240 pound Plano East Edge, three star, number 31 Edge, number 71 in Texas. Bo Tate, who we mentioned earlier, he's the 2020, he's the linebacker, 6'1, 200 pounds from Corner Canyon High School in Draper, Utah. Three star, number 156 linebacker, number 21 in Utah. Like I said, I think it comes down to Baylor and Oklahoma State. I think he's leaning a little Baylor right now from the quotes I've seen and what we've heard on him. But I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma State got the commitment as well. He's going to be announcing soon as well. I think. Tomorrow is what he announced on Twitter. He's going to be making, or Thursday, sorry. Today's Tuesday. Armstrong Notum, the Rice decommit. He's the defensive lineman from Mesquite Horn. Brett Carroll, the 2024 offensive lineman, 6'5", 285 pounds from Olathe, Olathe East High School in Kansas. We talked about him multiple times. Three-star, number 36, interior offensive lineman, number seven-rated player in Kansas. Xavier Robinson did not make it on his visit. And I think that's because he's about to be committing to OU. He's the running back from Carl Albert. Oklahoma State already has Rodney Fields, a running back in the class. I think they'd like another one. It's probably not going to be Robinson, but it could be Kiefer Sebley, the 5'8", 175-pound running back from Conley High School in Waco, Texas, home of Corey Black. So maybe they get him. And then another guy who did not make his visit is Witt Edwards, the wide receiver, 6'5", 210 pounds from Wagner High School in Wagner, Oklahoma. He's the number two rated player in Oklahoma. Pokes Report is reporting that Edwards has told schools that he wants to play offense, wide receiver, H-back, and Oklahoma State was recruiting him as a rover safety on defense, so that's probably why he decided not to make his visit. Don't know if he's going to reschedule, but it I think Oklahoma State is not in play anymore there. And Cade, that is all I have on recruiting. Fantastic, Dustin. Uh, you talking about Kiefer Sibley at 5'8", 175. You know who I immediately thought of? You mentioned him on this podcast not long ago. Who? Jeff Carr. I mean, that's. Ooh. I looked up Jeff, Jeff Carr, Carr as you were talking. 5'8", <laughs> 175. And uh, Texas high school running back. So it's just like... And the dreadlocks are there. So the, yes. the comparisons are, I mean, if, if he were number 20 at Oklahoma State, then this is going to get really strange. <laughs> well, Cade, that wraps up football, and we actually have some basketball news. We do, finally. Point. And I, I know I know, we you know, tend to uh, say we don't, and every week we, we've got something to talk about, whether it be Isaiah Miranda or last week talking through Eric Daly's That's just rising. us talking basketball. Oh, uh, we just talked. That's just talking <laughs> the hardwood. What what does Eddie say? Heart hustle, hardwood. That that's us. That's us. So, uh, Dustin, I'll kick it over to you. Obviously, a couple of newsworthy items. Uh, we could talk maybe this Rucker Park thing real quickly if you'd like to, and then get into Eric Daly at the U- USA U nineteen. Yeah, for sure. So the Big Twelve Rucker Park project. Kate and I have mentioned it on here before. They select this. The Big Twelve selected. Six men's basketball coaches and five women's basketball coaches that are going to travel to New York City to lead clinics. And it's newsworthy for Oklahoma State because Mike Poynton was one of the coaches selected to go up there. It's going to be on Tuesday, July 18th, in partnership with New York City Parks. There's going to be drills, clinic sessions. Coaches will participate in a Q&A with participating youth. There's going to be live DJs, food trucks, and more. It's going to be really cool. I, 
sure Mike Boynton will do some recruiting up there during that trip. It's going to be called Big 12 Hoops in the Park at Rucker Park in New York. Just really cool. Just wanted to mention it on here. And if you see an offer or something like that go out during that week, you'll know to a somebody up in the Northeast, you'll know it's because Mike Boynton was. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, on an event like that, if Mike Boynton wasn't the first phone call to make uh, from Brett Yormark, like yes. that would be personally offensive. I would think. Oh, completely agree. Completely agree. Well, a guy that we talked about last week, Dustin and Eric Daly and, just some rising uh, sentiment about him, obviously getting his shot at the U19 in Hungary for Team USA, and he's killing it. He's been double-digit scorer in all three games that he's played, uh, grabbing several rebounds, some highlight-worthy dunks. He's doing exactly what we talked about him being able to do at Oklahoma State and unlocking a dynamic front court uh, kind of scorer in that Oklahoma state has not really had at the four in a long time. So Dustin, I couldn't be more giddy about what Eric Daly brings to this team next year. Oh yeah, I completely agree. Like you said, double digit points in all three of those games, 12 points in the win over Madagascar, which was just a beating 136 to 69. The vanilla team right there. Yeah. Yes. Oklahoma State got down against Slovenia and they had to come back and win 77-72 and he had 11 points in that game and then they just beat Lebanon 122-70 to and he scored 10 points in that one. So hasn't hasn't connected from three yet. He's 0-4, struggling a little bit from the free throw line, but he's rebounding, blocking shots, getting steals, as you mentioned, breaking out on dunks. All these games are on YouTube. They've been tweeting out clips on Twitter that you know we've been retweeting from the our accounts. So definitely check those out because he looks awesome out there. They also had a press conference, Eric Daly and Mike Boynton with Oklahoma Media. And there were a couple of interesting notes from it, Cade. One that I didn't know, maybe you knew this. Mike Boynton was actually at South Carolina at the same time as Eric Daly's mom, who was a former South Carolina women's basketball player that was assisting the South Carolina women's team. She actually had Eric when Boynton was there playing basketball at South Carolina. So Mike Boynton has technically known Eric Daly since he was born Eric Daly Sr. was still playing pro basketball overseas, and he would come back in the summer and work out with the South Carolina basketball team. So Mike Boynton knows Eric Daly Sr. as well. So very interesting. Makes a little more sense. Not that Mike Boynton's not an amazing recruiter on his own right, but he kind of had this connection from the jump. Well, I have to apologize to you, Dustin. I could have sworn I told you this, I but maybe I didn't say it on this podcast. Yeah. That I this uh I don't remember how I was told this, but yes, that connection has been there. And uh there was another family member, uh oh Marcus Watson that it reminded me of that yes, Mike Boynton pulled that from the family tree. This kind of gave me similar vibes. Um, so yeah, anyway, I apologize, Dustin. I do not mean to withhold info from you. <laughs> no, no worries at all. The uh two other interesting notes. One was that Boynton said on the press conference that what he's been challenging daily with is to get better in the mid to low post because he's so big and strong and he's going to have smaller guys guarding him. He needs to become an efficient scorer in that area and be able to 
attack in that area to get himself to the free throw line. I thought that was interesting. And then he did also did not rule out using that final scholarship. He didn't say exactly what he was going to do with it, but he said he's keeping an eye on some guys at the U19. So maybe it'd be an international player that's eligible to play college basketball in the United States. So a couple interesting notes. It wasn't a super, I think it was like 20 minutes long. It's on OSU max. I'm sure it's on YouTube as well. I'm sure Marshall posted it from pistols firing. If you want to check that out, it was a great interview though. It's just those two guys and some Oklahoma media members. So pretty cool. Those were kind of the only interesting notes and USA will be back at it tomorrow against China in the round of 16. China is 0 and three Oklahoma state was three and zero in their group. So they will face off. I don't think I had a time for that game yet, but I'm sure it'll be on that YouTube channel. Yeah, if it were me and I was Mike Boyne, I'd go right back over to that Slovenia national team and see if I could pick out the next Luka Doncic. That's what I would do. (laughs) I love that. And speaking of the roster, Cade, yes, the 2023-2024 roster was released today. Yeah, which is outstanding. A great, a great moment every offseason when the numbers get released i don't know if you love it the way i do but uh it's i don't know it's not like the season's any closer but i love when this happens only one number change for a scholarship guy correct me if i'm wrong keon williams changes from 13 to number five i, I actually was the only one missed that one thank you for pointing that out uh that w- who's that would be caleb asbury's former number Yes, so that yep. was Caleb Asbury was five, moved on from that, and then Connor Dow is actually going to take over 13, the incoming freshman. Kato, I wanted to get your thought on some of the highlights, some of the things that stuck out to you. One to me, which I was going to toss it back over to you on this, was Brandon Garrison's height and weight, <laughs> 6'11", 245. Humongous. Yeah. That, when did that happen? Yeah, what was he listed at coming so out of listed, high school? So, and I told you this, Dustin. I he was listed at six nine, I think two oh five. And yes. I told okay, you, I just looked it up. Yeah, you're right. That I saw him at O'Brate, and I was like, that guy is not six nine. He's he's closer to seven feet. And lo and behold, I I think he's had that growth spurt for a while because I mean he's now a full uh, like full blown five like he's going to be your starting center next year yeah that's what i was saying one of the things we were worried about is just being a little bit undersized underdeveloped strength wise i don't think that's going to be an issue now i'm not saying that height and weight completely translates to him being able to guard other true big men in big 12 conference play but it gives if he's really 6 11 245 I'm way less worried about him starting at center than I was before. Not that I was that worried anyway. Well, he's, you know, if you watch Mike Marsh, so, you know, a lot of college tape on him. Mike Marsh measures in at 6'10", 250. And there are zero concerns about him being able to handle the physicality in the post. I think Brandon Garrison's biggest challenge is just going to be embracing this change in style of play from high school to college. I I no longer am worried about any sort of, semblance of being undersized at 611 245 that is plenty big to compete at in at center in this league but as we know Dustin as as you just mentioned there are some road graders in this league at the 5 so um it obviously also clears way on the depth chart i i don't think there's any more ambiguity 
at the four and five, like I thought there was, uh, especially with Eric Daly, you know, a full head below these guys at six eight two oh five. So, or I'm sorry, six eight two thirty. Uh, I I think Oklahoma State's going to be just fine in the post. And you know, guys like Connor Dow, six six two hundred. That's I honestly think he may be a guy that can play a little bit more than you and I initially thought at that height and weight. If he's able to hold his own at all on the defensive end, we know he can shoot. So with the lack of shooters Oklahoma State still has on this roster, unless, you know, that's obviously probably what they're going to try to do with that last scholarship spot if they use it. I think Dow could get some big minutes as we head head into the season. What do you make of, you know, there's five power forwards and up on this roster right now. I mean, if you look down the line, Eric Daly, 6'8", 230. Well, Justin McBride's measurables are the exact same. So you've got two power forwards right there. And then I have concerns about how you get enough guys on the floor. I mean, at center, at the five, you have three guys that reasonably are expecting to play several minutes at the five. And Isaiah Miranda, who we haven't even talked about, at at 7'1". 7-1, 220, going to need to put some weight on, but not unlike Musa Cisse, you know, just on the surface. And then you've got, I mean, Brandon Garrison at 6'11", 245, and Mike Marsh, 6'10", 250. They're kind of, you know, uh, that's a maybe more post-heavy split than we've seen in the past for Oklahoma State. They're going to have some bodies down there. Yeah, they are, and it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, if if they play multiple of these guys at the same time, they probably won't be able to get out and run like they have in the past. I mean, not saying Garrison's not athletic and Miranda's not athletic, but they're just, if you're going to play multiple big dudes down there, especially like a Mike Marsh, it may change a little bit of the dynamic on offense. I, I still think there'll be a team that wants to play fast and get out and run, but... To your point, I think we could see some shifts in kind of how they get baskets in the half court. Yeah, and it's it's less positionless than I think I'm used to seeing, you know, in this era of basketball. And it because of that, it makes a guy like Keon Williams make less sense to me. You know, Keon Williams at yes. 6'5", 230, you know, he's a tweener. He doesn't necessarily shoot the ball all that well. He's super physical. But I I struggle to figure out if he's on the floor at the three, how you uh, don't give up too much in terms of shooting and scoring ability at that spot with him on the floor. And you have, you know, Justin McBride and Eric Daly and other guys looking to share that that minute at the four. Um, It's it's just going to be interesting. And I'm pointing it out because I think Mike Boynton's got a challenge on his hands. And if I were him. There's no way I am accepting the perimeter shooting ability of this team going into next year the way it stands. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, I, I would be doing everything I can do to find a shooter out of the portal right now. Yeah, you gotta go find somebody that and you gotta get somebody that's shot well at I think a high-ish level out yeah. of the portal. I don't know if you want to go get another mid-major guy. You you have to have someone that and shoot yeah, at I this level, like you I, said. I don't think uh, like a hitty Rusink type player is is what you need right now if you're Mike Boyne. I think you need to go see what you can scrounge up out of the NIL piggy bank and, and go get somebody that's done it. And unfortunately, Dustin, to your point, I don't know who they're going to be able to find, but I know that they're going to need a body. Uh, they're going to need a shooting body. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But 
as I look at this roster right now, I think they're athletic as usual for Mike Boyne. I think they're going to be able to defend well. I think they're bigger down low than we're used to seeing. There's still a major gap for me on this roster. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The only other note, Cade, that I had was coaching related. The new roster came came out and Larry Blunt is no longer on the roster after two seasons as assistant coach. That's who Keaton Page is taking that spot. Not like he's taking his place right, right. in coaching, but he's taking that place as an assistant. We had heard it might be Larry Blunt, but now it's officially out. So I wanted to report on that. And then just real quick on transfer portal, Oklahoma State was apparently linked to a couple of West Virginia players that have ended the, entered the portal since Bob Huggins have left. Trey Mitchell was one, the 6'9", 225-pound forward. He Which, has since committed to Kentucky. And then Joe Toussaint, the six foot 190-pound guard who is not a three-point shooter. He's got a ton of schools interested in him. I, I don't think they land him. They obviously haven't landed Mitchell. But just wanted to mention it because that was some news that happened in the transfer portal and we were talking a little transfer portal. I'm glad portal. you did because it's like – uh, I I love the idea with Trey Mitchell of of you know maybe trying to pull in a Jalen Bridges style player, but isn't that what Eric Daly was supposed to be? So I I just yeah. I'm kind of confused here uh, is is the best way I can put it. I trust Mike Boynton to build a roster, but uh, I I'm skeptical that they're going to shoot it very well. So yeah, no, I agree, Kate. I think that's all we have in basketball. So I think the roundup is all we have left, and then questions. I think so, Dustin. I appreciate you getting through that. Let's take one quick break, real quick, hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll come back for the roundup. Check out Homefield Apparel's new Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t-shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff, even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members, Colorado, with a throwback t-shirt on their website i'm just a big fan of home field stuff and the quality is unbelievable so check them out at homefieldapparel.com and when you use our promo code feels 12 you actually will get a discount that's right feels 12 we'll get you 15 percent off your first order when you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcast is all right dustin welcome back i will kick it over to you for the roundup. All right, let's start with baseball. I wanted to mention the baseball transfer portal closes to enter on July 13th with really not that many sites reporting on baseball transfer portal. You know, D1 baseball is one of the main ones and they're actually a little behind as well. Not their fault at all. D1 baseball is awesome. It's a little bit harder to keep track of with so many teams, so many different players, so many guys in summer league. So I'm sure stuff will trickle out well after July 13th. I just wanted to mention that. My understanding is there are a couple more guys from Oklahoma State who are going to be entering the portal. I haven't confirmed the names, so I didn't want to give any that that we've heard of, but no 
from what I understand, no major pieces. So kind of similar to who's already entered, like Hoagie, Shatwell, guys like that. I don't think it'll be it's it's not any major contributors as far as I'm concerned. So all looking good on that front for Oklahoma State right now. And then they did just pick up a former College World Series all tournament team shortstop in Lane Forsyth from Mississippi State. Forsyth has started primarily at shortstop. I think he played a little bit at second. He also came in and relief pitched a little bit in 2022. I think he threw like three innings and three different appearances, but that was probably just out of necessity, losing some arms. He does have a very, very strong arm, though. That's what he's known for. He's played 58 games for them. He's appeared 186 times at the plate, earning a batting average of 231 for the season last season with an on-base percentage of 321. He did bat quite a bit higher than that in 2021. That's when he was on that College World Series tournament team. I think it was 278. Last season... He was around, like I mentioned, that like 230, 240 mark. And then he got replaced by a freshman after committing several errors and just not performing at the plate. So this is someone we know has talent, but it's kind of trending downwards. I think it's a depth piece if you expect guys like Marcus Brown, maybe Rock Riggio to enter the MLB draft, which is coming up on July 19th and sign with teams, just kind of building the depth up there. But I'm not... I would. I think Forsyth could be really good, but based on how he performed last season, I don't think it's like a huge pickup, but I definitely right. think it's good to add some depth to your team in the middle infield if you could possibly lose two of your starters. Yeah, not a pickup that's going to wow you in any particular regard other than played baseball at the, at the Power 5 level. That's, that's kind of my takeaway from it, Dustin, and not a particular position of need. And unless you have some defections that, you know, whether it be the MLB draft or transfer portal. So uh, yeah, it'd be curious to keep an eye on that middle infield over the next couple of weeks and see if, if there is something that, you know, makes this pickup a little more important. Yeah. They also landed another pitcher, left-handed pitcher from high point, Samuel Garcia, 44 innings pitched last season with a 1.89 whip. 7.57 7.57 ERA, a one and eight record. He started eight games, 49 Ks, 35 walks. However, in high point, I didn't have a very good season. However, in 2022, he was five and four with a 1.94 ERA, 14 walks, 58 Ks, and 60 innings pitch, and he was all conference. Wow. I do think this one is a little bit different case than Forsyth, where I think 2022 is a little bit more realistic of what Garcia is capable of because High Point wasn't very good last year. He wasn't, you know, I don't think they were getting many, very many hits. You look at that 7.57 ERA and the 1.89 whip, kind of tells you a little bit of that story right there. So I do like Garcia coming in. I don't think this is a guy that's going to come in and be one in your weekend rotation, but it definitely bumps up your bullpen and gives you another left-handed arm. So I do like this pickup. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we've we can't clamor for for more arms. Uh, if I mean all season like we were, uh, and not you know accept that this is this is a decent pickup for for bullpen depth. And again, I like like you just said, I don't think this is a weekend starter either. Either, but I mean for one of those midweek games, uh, you know, coming out of the bullpen in a in a regional, I think this is all right. Yes, and. A little bit of bad news. Peyton Tolley, the Wichita State two-way yeah, player, Kate and I both really like, just committed to TCU. Thought Oklahoma State might have a shot there. TCU looks to have maybe dropped a bag. 
in NIL and they got Tolly. So I think Oklahoma State, Cade, just kind of leaving it here and we can move off baseball. They're going to need to make a bigger splash because I think they could lose both Brown, Riggio, Watts Brown, multiple guys after the MLB draft. So if the MLB draft does not go their way and some of these guys are gone, which I think there's a chance Riggio comes back. I think there's maybe a chance Watts Brown comes back. But if they don't, there's going to be some holes in this lineup, and they have some good young guys on their roster. But it would be great to have some more experienced guys in the transfer portal as well. Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to be able to recruit. I, I think that that's not going to be the major issue. But it appears to be a concern right now. And so you hope that that trend doesn't continue. Uh, obviously, TCU coming off a Final Four appearance, basically, in the College World Series. So uh, easy to see how even outside of NIL that that, that could have played a factor. But um, yeah, Oklahoma State's going to have to do something. I mean, th- these latest pickups out of the transfer portal – to me, don't do a ton to inspire a lot of confidence that that they're going to get things moving in the right direction. And they need to. They're going to have uh, really kind of positions of need across the across the diamond in the in the bullpen, starting rotation in the weekend more than likely, um, and, and and hitting. I think at the at times last year, offense was inconsistent. So I, I think that they're going to have needs kind of everywhere. Yeah, I agree. On the other hand, on the other end of the diamond with softball. Kenny Gajewski does make a big pickup. The transfer portal for softball actually closes tomorrow, June 28th. Again, similar with baseball. I'm sure we're here stuff after. I even think Oklahoma State might have a few more silent commits that haven't been announced yet, but this one has. We know Oklahoma State lost catcher Taylor Tuck due to eligibility. She can no longer play. She's run out of years to play, but they landed Liberty catcher Caroline Hudson. She's a two-time Atlantic Sun Player of the Year. She started. She's got one year of eligibility left. Started 206 games over the past four years at Liberty, where she's tied for fifth in program history in sack flies, sixth in career home runs, seventh in RBIs, tied for seventh in extra base base hits, eighth in total bases, ninth in slugging percentage. She also caught four no-hitters, which is tied for the most in program history. She's also a former uh, Atlantic Sun Defensive Player of the Year, so she's a very good defensive catcher as well. In 2023, she led the A-Sun with 15 homers. We talked about getting some more girls in with power. 17 doubles and 51 RBIs, batting 318 with a team-leading 636 slugging percentage. She also had one of the biggest hits of the entire Liberty season, a go-ahead three-run home run to sink Montana Fouts, one of the best pitchers in college softball, in number 13 Alabama. She also helped Liberty gain their first at-large berth into the NCAA championship in program history and upset number two UCLA that eliminated the Bruins from the tournament on their home field. Her dad and grandpa both played in the NFL, so great pedigree there. She'll be the third transfer that we know about. I think there's a couple more. Joining Joe Pollard from McNeese and Macy Graff, who we talked about last week from Mississippi State. Okay, this is exactly what they needed. They needed someone at catcher. They needed more production at the plate at catcher anyway, even though love Taylor Tuck. She was awesome in her time here. Stillwater local. But landing someone like Hudson is big time for this softball team. 
Yeah, I mean, this this is the type of player that Oklahoma State softball should be bringing in out of the transfer portal just with its recent success. Like, this this is the type of player you would hope to see. Um, the, the history there is phenomenal. I mean, this is a decorated player. This is not just a accomplished player. This is an accomplished and decorated player uh, with the two-time conference honors. So this uh, is that's Mike outstanding. Beyonce. Yeah, this... This is literally Mark McGuire in <laughs> on the softball field. Yeah. <laughs> um, one quick golf note. We're not going to do where guys finished unless they, you know, something cool happens. Ricky finishes wins or Victor wins. But I did want to mention this one because Rasmus Nearguard Peterson finished seventh in his first professional tournament post-college career on the DP World Tour. That was his debut Pretty awesome. He got interviewed. They put the video out on Twitter. Oklahoma State Golf's Twitter account retweeted it. He, they asked him about you know what that meant to him performing really well. I think on day two he had like seven birdies and was eight under. And the first thing he talked about was Oklahoma State. So it was really awesome to see Rasmus do that. Finished T seven. I believe he was leading or in second after that after day two. So it was pretty cool. He still finishes in the top ten. Great to see another poke out there in the professional golf world. Yeah, and and a pull. I think people might forget that Rasmus Nearguard Pearson, Peterson played at Oklahoma State. Yes. So, like uh that that's a good one Dustin. Thanks for going deep for, in the roundup for that one. <laughs> and then the last notes we had Kay, before we get to questions are two NBA notes. The first one I wanted to hit was actually pointed out to us on Twitter by Eric Harris in the DMs. He's at H Eric the Red. Melvin Sanders Former Oklahoma State basketball player. He was there from 2000 to 2003. Averaged 9.9 points a game, 4.4 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and 1.4 steals per game. Made the tourney in all three years he was there under Coach Eddie Sutton. He has been a trainer, a fitness trainer, in the Dallas area with the Sanders Fit Performance Center and has been training some big names all over the professional world of sports, NBA, NFL, even college players, European athletes. But the reason why I wanted to point it out is because he, Victor Wimbiana, Wimbiana has been tweeting out videos of him working out with Melvin Sanders. So the recent number one pick in the NBA draft, a unicorn they're calling, has been tweeting out videos of him working out with former Oklahoma State basketball player Melvin Sanders. So I thought that was really cool. Appreciate Eric pointing that out to yeah. us. I wanted to shout out Melvin on here. Yeah, I, the only reason that I knew that Melvin Sanders was in the training game was because Cade Cunningham, in the summer before he came to Oklahoma State, was training with Melvin Sanders. So two NBA number one picks. That's pretty good pedigree right there for Melvin. It's, Not, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Does he get residuals he to, on that? I I would figure that out. I don't know, but we need to get him and Rob Glass to create me and you a workout. Golly, I, I need the light. I need the Melvin Sanders Rob Glass light version. How about that? Maybe the infant some, version. Some really solid core work would be preferred. <laughs> and the last note, Cade, I just wanted to point this out because he's one of our favorite guys. And it's pretty big NBA news. Marcus Smart mm-hmm. traded to the Memphis Grizzlies from the Boston Celtics. It's a three-team deal with the Wizards. Kristaps Porzingis was one of the big names in there. Tyus Jones as well. So after nine years in Boston and former Thunder players, Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, also part of the deal. But <laughs> nine years in Boston was a huge part of that team. It was kind of the heart and soul of that team. 
but it's really interesting. I saw ESPN point this out. Marcus and Tony Allen both went to OSU, both went to the finals with Boston, both have made first-team all-defense, and both joined the Memphis Grizzlies at the age of 29. Dude, that's kind of spooky. I mean, yeah. how does that happen? I do not know, but very interesting. I think Marcus will do great in Memphis. I know John Morant's going to be suspended for a little bit, but I think when they get their full team back together, that's going to be a yeah. big addition to their team. And I think it brings some leadership to their team, which will be pretty cool. Well, Marcus has, I mean, he's been in the NBA nine years. Uh, he's been first team all defense, been to the you know conference finals multiple times. That's defensive the kind, player of the year. Defensive player of the year. That's the kind of guy that Memphis probably needs in that locker room. An, an, uh, a total upgrade both in talent, I would say, and character and veteran leadership over Dylan Brooks. I mean, I, if you were a Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> fan and you would have been told after that, yes. all the Dylan Brooks nonsense that they were going to go get Marcus smart, you would have sl- you would have stood up and started clapping in your room. Like that's amazing. Yeah, because Dylan Brooks is like homeless man's Marcus smart. Dylan Brooks could, we could have our own, podcast just about him and what a moron he is and i i I don't even really like say that type of stuff very often but he has it coming i mean it 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 was really nice to see the grizzlies crash and burn because they could be the least likable team that i've ever encountered as even an impartial observer like i the Grizzlies, I don't consider to the Thunder to be like maybe back in the Zach Randolph and, you know, those days, maybe a conference rival, but not now. But they just, yeah. uh, between the TikToks and Dylan Brooks, they were uh, so obnoxious. They really were. They talk a lot of trash and ended up not really being able to back it up yeah. as we moved into the the postseason. So I, I agree with you. And that great point on the Marcus Smart, Dylan Brooks. I, I didn't even really think. Yeah, I think they're going to slot so, him right in there. It's a great move yeah, no, by I, them. I love that. And that and that was talking NBA with Dustin and Kay. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for that, Dustin. You can sponsor that segment if you'd like, uh, and we can do it more if, if that. We can if talk as much NBA as you guys want. I'm sure everyone's yeah. like, please do not. We could uh, go. We could go full, full Stephen A. and Kendrick Perkins on this thing if you want to. <laughs> we we really could. I'll, I'll be Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got, we've got several questions. Like you said, no audio questions. We got several on Twitter. So thank you guys so much for sending these in. The first one is from our old pal, Joel Pinfield, JT Pin- Pinfield. He says, I have a healthy amount of skepticism about the offensive changes coming this year. Is that a fair place to be right now? Cade, if you don't mind, I might just answer this one. Just kind of, I was thinking about it a little bit earlier. Joel sent the first one in. So I saw it right when it came in. I think Joel, and, and I know Joel knows this. I know he, he knows some X's and O's as well. We've talked before about it. So I just kind of wanted to put it out there for the general audience. But as far as the run game is concerned, we hear about these offensive changes that Joel's mentioned. You have to remember that on designed plays to the running back, so excluding designed quarterback runs, jet sweeps, things of that nature, this is about a 90 to 95% zone run team. You know, I charted it. Every game, we talked about it on here. If you think that they're going to flip that completely and be 90 to 95% gap, 
I think that's just way too big of an of an over assumption. I don't think there's any way that they'll do that. Now, I could be wrong, but I still think they're going to be a pretty heavy zone team because as I put out in my Twitter videos looking at the Gundy teams of old when they ran more gap, they still were a majority zone team. Almost every team in college football runs a mixture of zone and gap. And I think going any lower than like 50% zone would be crazy. Like not crazy, like dumb. Just, I I don't think that would happen. So I still think you're going to see a lot of zone, but I do think that having the tight end and fullback positions as separate positions, no longer having the cowboy back, adding in more gap scheme, which I saw with my own eyes at the practice I was at. I know it was only one practice, but I saw it utilizing some under the center formations, eye formation, even in there having a ton of fullback and tight end pre-stat motion. I think all that's going to be extremely noticeable, even to fans that don't really care paying as much attention to X's and O's. I think that type of stuff, Joel is going to be noticeable. And unless they completely just were trying to trick people that were watching that one practice I was at, which was just recruits and a few other people. I I mean, I, I saw it with my own two eyes, so I, I know it's going to happen. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if Joel is saying skepticism around if anything's changing or if the changes will breed success. So I answered the only other possible question and I'll say, yes, I think it's fair. Uh, Oklahoma State over the last three years has gone from the seventh uh, rated offense in the Big 12 to the eighth to the ninth. So uh, they're either going to be 10th or they're going to be better. So uh, I I, I don't I don't think that uh, skepticism is unwarranted here, but it's hard to get worse than they were for the last six games of last year. I think it's going to look immediately better. Yeah, great call out, Caden. Thank you for kind of answering that other side because that well, even if he's not asking it. It's the only yeah. other possibility. So, and and the other thing you have to remember, and I know people hate when Gundy preaches this, but the injuries not only to the offensive line but to your starting quarterback—that yeah. was the majority of your offense. I think with these changes and just if they have better health than last year, which was one of the worst injury seasons I've seen. And I know people are going to say Oklahoma State has injuries every year. That one was very bad because yeah, Spencer Sanders was, was included. Yeah, so I think all of that together, I don't think there's any way, as you just mentioned, that it's not positive. Now, how positive that's going to be, to your point, is another thing. But I definitely think that you're going to see improvements overall. Yeah, I mean, what thanks you over that question. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Next, thanks, we've Joel. got Orange Vision at underscore Orange VZN underscore it says, "What teams would you most be most excited for in conference realignment?" Also, give me your top five players you think will be most the most productive for the Pokes this fall. Thank you very much, and great job with the podcast. Well, thank you, Orange Vision, for the question and for the kind words. Cade, who are your who would be some teams you're most excited for in conference realignment? You can give me teams that are probably unrealistic or realistic. Either way, you want to go. Like, is he asking? And I'm sorry, I is it asking like an Arizona or a Colorado as a possibility? See, I kind of, what I did is like, I just listed off. I mean, if it was any team that hasn't already committed to another conference. So I was thinking pack and ACC, yeah. you know, Oregon, Washington, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Utah, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, Florida state. And then if it was the teams that I actually think may come to the big 12, my favorites are probably 
Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, with Utah probably being the top. uh, Amen. Everything you just said is exactly the same way I feel. But if there was a universe where Oregon and Washington would be willing to come to the Big 12, that's a universe that I want to be in because I think that that would be really fun. And that would look more than that would look more like either a merger between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 or just the Big 12 just totally gutting the Pac-12 and you know scattering them to the Mountain West. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that that would be my answer as well, Dustin. That probably the most likely too. And then most productive. I was thinking of the. I was thinking this question as in terms of stats. So, I think you and I both agree. Brennan Presley is probably the best bet at most productive wide receiver. He was last year with the new guys coming in. You could pick Bray, you could pick Shribling, but Presley pretty much has that slot position on lock with John Paul gone. I know they've got Arlen Bruce, but he's kind of a newer guy. He's still a younger guy. So I think Presley, Bowman, if if you want to pick one of the running backs, Ollie Gordon on defense, we know that at Gannon, the rover position led the team in tackles. So Kendall Daniels would be a good pick as most productive. As far as sacks go, someone like an Anthony Goodlow, might be a good choice. Colin Oliver. I, I mean, I just kind of was thinking the, yeah, the you guys we think are the better players. So Yeah, you nailed it. I have nothing more to add on that. Awesome. Corbett Klein at Corbett Klein says, with the change in the run game scheme coming, does that change what type of lineman you recruit? Would you need smaller, more athletic linemen to pull? So, I mean, Kate, if you want me to take a stab at this one, I I really think though, I think before I answer this, I think it's more of a we're changing the scheme to fit the type type of lineman we can get, as it is to a we're changing the scheme and now we're going to recruit different linemen. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. And and I know that's kind of a cop out way of answering this question, but really, like as a general rule gap scheme is more effective for linemen that aren't as physically strong as the defensive linemen. They can work angles. It can help them deal with things like stunts and twists and zone schemes are very technical sound. It helps if you're very physical because you're going to have to move guys out of spots. So gap scheme is great for kind of all types of linemen, small, big, fast, athletic, not that athletic. Whereas zone, you kind of need, you know, like Alabama could run zone every play, and they do run a lot of zone because they have such big, powerful linemen that can move guys out of their spots. They're normally the best linemen coming out of high school or great guys coming out of the transfer portal. Also plays in with running back. You know, you need a great running back with great vision to run zone scheme because he's going to have to find the holes. So it's not all in the offensive line, but I know you specifically asked Corbett about the offensive line. So I think that's kind of a high level way, but I'm sure offensive line gurus listening could have, you know, different feedback on, well, you still got to be physical on the gas team. I get that. I was just kind of giving a high level answer to that. And I think it's because the guys at Oklahoma state can get out of high school they tend to be, you know, not the top tier linemen. So I think it makes more sense to go with this gap scheme along with your zone. 
Yeah. Well, Dustin, I think you answered that masterfully and you're, you're the guy on the offensive line, but you can, you can answer this question by just look around, you know, college football. I mean, some of those Oklahoma offensive lines, not to compliment the, the school down South, but their tackles have always been massive, but on in the guard spot and they're notorious for, for pulling that GT counter uh, is everybody talks about it when they talk about OU football they're not massive. So I do think you answered the question great, Dustin. And uh yeah, I think I think there's evidence all around the sport to to back that up. So Yeah, so Kate, I know we we're trying to we're trying to <laughs> stick to our word and keep these podcasts at that hour, hour twenty time frame. So we got a couple more questions. We're gonna have to cut them short. We did get a shout out. I did want to mention our guy, Royal John OSU at Wasted Optimism was congratulating me on my college world series victory. He wants, you know, he wants you me to great. take the credit and I will, I will. So you, thank you. And you did fantastic, welcome. Dustin. Yes. Uh, yeah. I did contribute to that 68,000 jello shots. I, I had five I bought for the fam. So, and then I gave one to the guy standing next to me at the bar. So that was, uh, that was fun. So five of those were from me of that 68,000 or 69,000, whatever it was, but guys, we really appreciate all the questions. Sorry again for having to skip a few at the end, but just running a little short on time. Thank you guys so much. They're always awesome. We love the ones this week again. So really appreciate it. Yep. Blame it on me. I'm the one with the one month old at home. So <laughs> sorry guys. We'll try to be better, but uh, who knows? Dust and I get long-winded. So if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FeelsLike45Pod. You can follow him at DustRagu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We hope you guys have a fantastic 4th of July weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday, July 3rd, so don't miss us uh, and be safe uh, shooting off fireworks, having hot dogs, uh, and doing whatever it is that you may be doing. We will see you guys back here next week. Go folks.